Hello, friends, and welcome to Sterile Field Guide, a podcast dedicated to medical student general surgical education. I'm Alex, and I'll be your guide. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Sterile Field Guide. This is episode 15. It's kind of wild to me that I've been doing this for 15 weeks already, but here we are. We are finishing up our series on solid organ injuries, starting, I guess, ending by talking about traumatic kidney injuries. So very, very briefly touching on the anatomy of the kidney. We won't go into like microscopic detail, but it's important to be familiar with the fascia. And people talk about Gerota's fascia pretty frequently, and there's actually a difference between the anterior fascia and the posterior fascia. This is mostly just like a trivia fun fact, but the anterior fascia of the kidney is called Gerota's fascia and the posterior is called Zucker candles, which is wild. And I didn't know that until I took a radiology class a couple months ago. So anterior is Gerota's, posterior is Zucker candles. If you are talking to someone who's not familiar with this, maybe don't say this in an emergent setting because they won't know what you're talking about. You can just say the fascia of the kidney. Um, and then maybe tell them the fun fact later when things have cooled down. There's also the cortex and the medulla or the medulla or however you prefer to say the that word um, of the kidney. And most importantly, when we're thinking about a trauma, is there are three really important structures at the hilum of the kidney, being the renal artery, the vein, and then the collecting system or the ureter. So those are things to think about, especially when we start talking about the grading system of the kidney, which is a little bit different than spleen and liver because we do have the added component of the urinary system when we're thinking about kidney injuries. So first things first, we should talk about how to evaluate the kidney injury. So similar to the liver and the spleen, you're going to do your physical exam, especially if this is in a trauma situation, you'll be doing your full physical exam um, in the bay and then sort of making a decision of what to do from there. We have talked about the FAST exam so, so many times, but just remember that the FAST exam is an ultrasound that has four views. It is completed during a trauma situation. It's focused assessment for sonographic trauma or something like that. And you are going to look at both kidneys in the FAST exam. And so you're going to evaluate if there is any blood around the kidney or the spleen. And just as a quick note about the FAST exam, it's not necessarily very like specific for one area if you find blood if the fast is positive all it tells you is that there is blood in the abdomen so a fast exam is not going to tell you okay specifically you have a kidney bleed it's going to say yes you have blood in your abdomen that is not inside of a vessel and so just keep that in mind i don't want you to walk away from this thinking that the fast exam is like super diagnostic it is very helpful in figuring out if you have blood in your abdomen But even if your FAST exam is negative, if you have a clinical suspicion for something bleeding in the abdomen or some sort of injury, you can do more imaging such as a CT scan. We have talked about the portal venous phase of a CT scan, which again, um, you have your arterial phase and your venous phase. These are all related to the timing of the contrast, not where you inject it. You have your arterial phase and your venous phase, and in between that is the portal venous phase. And something else that you may do for um, suspicion for or confirmed renal injuries, you may do delays. And this is to evaluate the nephrographic phase or sort of the excretory phase of when the urine is leaving the body so that you can evaluate sort of the urinary system. Delays can take quite a few minutes. I saw anywhere from like eight to 12 minutes for delays, but essentially you'll complete your, we call it a trauma here, but you'll 
complete the imaging that you were going to do anyway with your CT scan, and then you will stay in the scanner if the patient is stable enough for an additional like 8 to 12 minutes to do your delays. Take another picture because that contrast will be sort of in a different phase at that time, and then you can do whatever you need to do after that. But that is what a delay is if you hear anybody talking about getting delays for kidney injuries. This is not necessarily a urologic episode, but some things to think about since we are talking about the kidneys and imaging, other renal imaging techniques, getting a non-con of the kidney can be helpful to evaluate for stones in a trauma situation. We are not necessarily worried if you have a kidney stone, but if you are in some other context and you need to get some sort of imaging for evaluation of stones and you're going to get a CT scan anyway, you want it to be non-con because the contrast and the stone are going to show up about the same color and it's hard to see them. Other things that you can do, we aren't specifically going to talk about the bladder in this episode, but if you have concern for a bladder injury or a ureteral or urethral injury, there are different things that you can do in the emergency department as well. And these sorts of things can happen with pelvic fractures, with any sort of like pelvic trauma. You, If you do a rectal exam and you feel a high riding prostate, that can make you concerned that you might have a urethral injury. And so what you can do is called a retrograde urethrogram. This can be performed in the emergency department and it is where you inject contrast into the urinary system from below and then you sort of evaluate with imaging usually an x-ray to see sort of the shape and if there's any extravasation either into the peritoneum or retroperitoneal or into the pelvic area and that sort of like can help you decide what your management is going to be. Again, we're not necessarily going to talk about the management of those things in this episode, but just know that that's something that can happen and, and look it up if you're interested and we will talk about it at some other time. But talking specifically about renal trauma. So this is going to be similar with a physical exam of other things. You can have abdominal tenderness, especially if you have like a traumatic injury that is going to damage your kidneys. You're probably going to damage some other things. So you can think about a distended abdomen. You can think about abdominal tenderness, flank pain or bruising, posterior rib fractures can also make you concerned. If you're concerned at all for urologic trauma, again, not necessarily talking all about that today, but pelvic fractures are a big thing that can damage the bladder and structures around there. You can also see on physical exam, you can have a high riding prostate on a digital rectal exam, or you can see scrotal or labial swelling, and that can make you concerned that there may be a urologic injury or something going on in the pelvis that needs to be investigated a little bit more. One other fun fact about urologic trauma is there is a triad that you should be familiar with. So this is going to be the triad is blood at the urethral meatus, a palpable bladder, and an inability to void. And this is basically going to buy you an evaluation of your ureter, such as the retrograde urethrogram that we talked about. This is something that you are going to want to make sure that you investigate. So if on your secondary survey, you are noting that they have a distended bladder, their pelvis is pretty distended. That is something that you are going to want to make note of. Speaking about the radiographic grades from the AAST, these are graded a bit differently because it's important to consider the urinary system, which we've been talking a lot about. Um, so same buckets 
of importance here. So it's important to recognize that as your hematoma gets bigger, your grade is going to go up. As your laceration gets bigger, your grade is going to go up. And then once you hit a certain grade, that either means that the laceration or the hematoma is big enough, or you have involvement of your urinary system or both things. So if you have involvement of your urinary system and have a tiny, tiny laceration, that's going to upgrade you, even if your laceration doesn't fit that criteria. So let's go through those right now. So that makes more sense. So a grade one is gonna be a hematoma under the fascia, but no laceration. And so this is gonna be under Zucker Candles or Gerota's fascia. You're more familiar with the term Gerota's. Remember, Zucker Candles is the posterior fascia. Grade two is gonna be a small laceration that does not include the collecting system or a larger hematoma that's contained by the fascia. A grade three is gonna be an even larger laceration. You still have no involvement of the collecting system. You may have a vascular injury or active bleeding that's confined to the capsule. And this is kind of similar to liver and, and spleen at this point. When we get to grade four, this is when we start to have a laceration that involves the collecting system and you have urinary extravasation, which you can evaluate with your delays. You may have renal pelvis involvement. So like transection of the renal artery, the renal vein, or you can have something called complete ureto-pelvic disruption, which is where the ureter is disrupted from the kidney in totality. Finally, a grade five is going to have a large laceration. This is also at this point considered a shattered kidney. You can have avulsion of the renal hilum where the artery and the vein are disrupted from the kidney as well. Laceration of a main renal artery or vein is going to make you a grade five automatically or devascularization of the kidney plus or minus active bleeding is going to land you in the grade five category. So the treatment options for renal trauma are pretty similar in buckets. And so we can think about non-operative management, we can think about embolization, and we can think about surgical management. Oftentimes when patients have low-grade injuries, such as just a hematoma around the kidney, it's possible to do non-operative management with those serial abdominal exams. And at this time, you can monitor their urine output, monitor their abdominal pain, make sure they don't become peritonitic. If patients are hemodynamically stable and they have blush, you can consider, so blush being active extravasation, you can consider an angioembolization. The renal artery embolizations typically are not going to be just the whole renal artery unless you're really blocking off the whole kidney but even just finding like a small vessel and embolizing that the ones that I've seen it hurts really bad like the patients complain of pain so when you're thinking about post-operative care of these patients you want to be thinking about pain control of course in a trauma you probably are going to be thinking about that anyway but especially if you're doing an angioembolization of the renal arteries or their subsections that's important to think about if you are hemodynamically unstable of course we're going to consider an operation for you and so there is kidney salvage versus nephrectomy so kidney salvage is what it sounds like that is where you are going to try to put the pieces back together so if you have an injury to your renal artery you're going to try to repair that so do a renal artery reconstruction, similar with venous, similar with the ureter. 
If you don't think that that kidney is going to regain any function, you can do, or the patient is really unstable and taking the time to reconstruct the renal artery, vein, or ureter is not possible while keeping the patient safe, you can consider a nephrectomy as well where you take the whole kidney out. Something I think that's interesting about renal trauma specifically, that even if patients are hemodynamically stable, if they are a grade four and the urinary system is involved, there are procedures and operations that urology is likely going to want to perform in order to make sure that they maintain some sort of function in their urinary system. And so these different, these different procedures can be anything from like placing a stent endoscopically, essentially, where you don't have to open the patient up to opening the patient up and repairing the ureter. So there is a whole algorithm for how to approach these different injuries, but essentially if you have an injury of the renal pelvis, the ureter, or the bladder, you can consider something like a stent and a catheter, and the catheter is likely going to stay in place for a period of time, like potentially a few weeks for some patients. Some patients may go home with the catheter. So this is just something to be aware of as a medical student, especially as you're starting to put together plans for patients, you're starting to sort of notice the small things like lines, tubes, and drains. Okay, this Foley has been in for a couple of days. I know that having a Foley in for a couple of days increases your risk of infection. Should we take this Foley out? Okay, well, if they've had this procedure, maybe their Foley needs to stay in for a reason. So thinking about those things when you're, when you're developing your plans, even for the small stuff like lines, tubes, and drains, be thinking about, is there a reason that this patient needs it? And if not, would would now be a good time to discontinue it. So the good thing about these procedures, like I mentioned, is you you don't need to perform necessarily like an open surgery to place a ureteral stent. So that is good news. And that can sort of help with the structure of the ureter. Other things you can think about if you have trauma to the tissue that is draining your urine, you can also do urinary diversion, which is going to sort of depressurize the urinary system and allow healing of tissue, decompression of these damaged tissues while they sort of heal and are in a tenuous position. And one way to do this, our interventional radiology friends help with often, and I'm sure urology does as well, is a percutaneous nephrostomy tube. And so percutaneous nephrostomy tube is what it sounds like it goes through the skin into the renal pelvis. So it's typically going through the back and you are going to have a tube that goes from your skin into your renal pelvis and it's going to drain the urine in that way instead of it going through to your bladder and then out your urethra. And this is useful, like I mentioned, because it sort of decompresses that system and allows healing of those damaged tissues while your stent is in place or while some other procedure needs to happen. So that is called a percutaneous nephrostomy tube. Those can get infected pretty easily because you're going through the skin to the urine and it's coming out and they leak and all sorts of things, but they are very useful and patients have them for lots of reasons. So if you have never seen a percutaneous nephrostomy tube that is probably what's poking out of their back in this patient just so you're aware other things that urology can do is place a stent in a nephrostomy tube and wait for surgery if the surgery is not necessarily emergent and the patient is not stable so the urinary diversion piece becomes really helpful especially if going in for surgery is going to contribute to this cold coagulopathic and acidotic pathway that this patient in is probably not super safe to take them to surgery 
surgery at that time. They do have options to sort of place a stent and wait. If you have complete avulsion, of course, surgical repair is going to probably be necessary. You can at this time also place a stent uh, plus minus a nephrostomy tube given uh, depending on the integrity of the anastomosis. And then again, you can you can do a nephrectomy if it is sort of impossible to salvage the kidney. So those are sort of the options. And I know this is much shorter than the spleen and liver episodes. And I apologize. I did my my darndest reading about urology. I wanted to sort of keep this focused on the kidney. And I know there was a little bit of hinting towards like urethral trauma and ureteral trauma and sort of the management of those things. And that is very different. It's its own sort of approach to those things because you can have a kidney injury and not a urethral injury and not a bladder disruption. And so I wanted to sort of consider those things separately, but they sort of crept in. So consider the information covered in this episode as an introduction to urologic trauma, but certainly not all encompassing. And I hope this was helpful for you. I hope that you feel much more prepared on solid organ injury management. Make sure that you check out, oh, we have a TikTok now. Um, I don't even have a TikTok for myself, but I downloaded it for this podcast. The TikTok is sterile.field.guide on TikTok. We post like the same content that we do on Instagram, just reaching a different audience. So if that is your preferred way to reach us, check us out there. Yeah. So, uh, make sure all that to say, make sure that you're, um, checking in with the social media things, because I do post the algorithms that I'm talking about and then pictures and images that are going to be sort of representative of the different injuries that I'm talking about. So that can sort of help to round out this episode and give you an idea of some resources that you can dig into if you want more information for yourself. So I'm really grateful that you're here. I can't believe it's been 15 whole weeks and I will talk See you next time. Bye. That's it for today's podcast. You can support this podcast and receive exclusive educational content on Patreon and find us on Instagram at sterile field guide. Questions and requests can be submitted to our Gmail at sterilefieldguide at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may your retraction be superb and your suture tails be the perfect length.